So here we are in a system not designed for women, not designed for millennials, not designed for inclusion. A system that is finally changing. Let's get familiar. Let's talk about business. Let's talk about lifestyle. Let's talk about womanhood. I'm Leslie Gray, bringing you passionate, informed guests to talk about millennial women building wealth, power, and influence in our modern era. The future for women and wealth is brighter than ever. Welcome to Love and Dividends. Hello! I am back. We are back and we are having just the most fun putting together this new season of Love and Dividends. I hope you were able to catch our first episode. It was a mini episode, a little trailer of things to come and what we're planning for you in this new season. I am a big believer in divine timing and we are coming into Aries season. Aries being the astrology sign, the first of the zodiac, also happens to be my sign. It's a fiery sign. It's a get shit done sign. It's a high energy sign. It is a springtime sign. And as a true Aries firewoman, of course, I dove full in. So I want to hear from you how everything's been since last we met. And I just hope all of you at home have been surviving, maybe, is the highest threshold. Staying sane. And I want to know what's been keeping you sane. I will tell you what's been keeping me sane. It is a little TV show called Desperate Housewives. Now, parts of it definitely have not aged well. And parts of it have aged amazingly because I actually still wear juicy couture zip-up sweatsuits and Ugg boots. That's my main look. Now, when I say I've been using that to stay sane, I want to be very clear. Like, I'm watching all the episodes. Like, I'm invested. Spoiler alert, although this series is 10 years old, so if you haven't seen it, I don't really know how I can be spoiling it. But there is one episode with a tornado, and we're scared that Lynette's family has died. And instead, one of the elderly women on the street, in fact, sacrificed herself to save Lynette's husband, Tom, who's my main crush, and her four children. I'm literally on my couch hysterically crying. So that's the state I'm in. But the part that's keeping me the most sane of the Desperate Housewives franchise is season five, episode 13, where Bo Bridges, yes, that's right, Academy Award winning Jeff Bridges' brother, makes a one episode appearance as a handyman. The genre they choose to use is one of like an old retiring cop. He's on the roof and he's like, ah, my ticker ain't what it used to be. So I'm retiring to Hawaii. And the whole neighborhood, we've never seen this character before. We're five episodes in. Diehard fans like me are like, I've never seen him appear. Are like, no, you can't retire. You're the heart and soul of this community. And he's like, yeah, just got to nail in this last part of the roof. And then I'm calling it a day. This is my last day on the force. That kind of vibe. Obviously, as he's nailing in the last board, he has a heart attack. This is the opening of this episode, by the way. This is how it starts. The episode goes on 
to do like a circle back of all the different Desperate Housewives and the various ways this Beau Bridges character apparently changed their life and therefore the whole face of Asteria Lane. The most notable of which is Edie. Edie, if you haven't watched Desperate Housewives, which is a perfectly fair answer, I'll give you all the information you need. You don't have to watch it to enjoy this opener of this podcast. Edie shows a clip where her husband, which I think was played by a different actor, so they've now brought in a new actor, is not interested in her. She ends up making a pass at this older Beau Bridges handyman. They get together. He convinces her that, like, she is desirable. Then she leaves her husband. That's neither here nor there. But the part that is deeply disturbing in the episode is flash forward to normal times. She's getting ready for the funeral. If you know Edie, she's in a very racy outfit. And her current husband is like, don't you think that's a little bit racy for a handyman's funeral? And she's like, oh, no. And, like, winks at the camera like, he would love it. (laughs) And as a viewer, you're like, what? Everything about it's amazing. Please circle back to Desperate Housewives. That's my PSA. Please specifically watch Season 5, Episode 13 for a one-time appearance by Bo Bridges where they then imply that he's a critical character of the entire series. I'm here for it. What's been keeping you sane? What crazy things have you been watching and doing? Let us know. Send us a message. Email me directly, leslie at loveanddividends.com. Check out our Instagram. DM us, whatever. Just let us know what fun things you've been doing. Our guest on this first episode, it was so fun interviewing her also, Jackie Porter. This is a big thing she brings up. I loved one of the things you'll hear her say in the interview where she says there's a lot of drama around finances, much like the Desperate Housewives on Wisteria Lane. A lot of drama. She wants to take the drama out of finances. Make it a bit more fun. Make it a bit more playful. Make it a bit more satirical. Actually, another reference to Desperate Housewives, I promise this will be my last one. Just kidding, I can't make that kind of promise. Is in Arrested Development when the character Anne, who's very religious, who's George Michael's girlfriend, convinces him to come because they're protesting Desperate Housewives at the creator. And the creator looks at the window and he's like, it's supposed to be a satire. That's how I feel about finances. It's supposed to be a satire. It's not supposed to be taken too seriously. You're supposed to have fun with it. And her big message to everyone, she specifically, uh, like me, is all about women getting empowered with their finances, is to get naked with your finances. Get to know yourself. Get to see sort of everything that's there. Get whatever help you need to do that. But that's sort of the first step. And the reason she's such a big proponent of it is, I think, like me, the empowerment component. And when she took us through what are risks for finances, what she said that was so interesting was it's not really the market risk. I I personally always think of risk in terms of the market risk. If you download our cheat sheet, by the way, this will kind of explain this to you. But I think of it as if you invest in stocks, those are more risky, whereas if you're using, you know, a GIC or a high interest savings account, that's less risky. And in the last year, 2020, we've seen big market crashes, very volatile stock market. So I I think of that as being the risk. She actually says the biggest risk to your finances or the biggest change isn't necessarily that investing, but it's three sort of major life events. The first one is health, any changes in your health. 
And that feels very real. We're in the middle of a global pandemic. We're seeing how a person's financial situation really in a meaningful way can impact their health. The most obvious example being essential workers who their means of income is a high-risk scenario. And while we hope they have all the protection they need and all the safeguards in place, it still is risky just to go into work every day. The second one is a change in relationship. Most notably, she mentions a divorce, and, and I do a little callback to one of our season one episodes, Divorce in the Time of Corona. If you haven't listened, check it out. But she goes through just knowing whether or not you can leave a relationship based on finances, feeling financially empowered enough to know that. The book she wrote is called Single by Choice or Chance. It's about living better through financial freedom. And what she touches upon is that many women will outlive their partner, uh, whether their partner is male or female. Statistically, women live four years longer than men. And so for whatever reason, if you're finding yourself solo or single, you want to be financially empowered. And, and she's the right person to write this book. She herself was raised by a single mother who tragically passed away when Jackie was in her teens. And so Jackie really did have to figure out her finances for herself. She worked three jobs for a while and now has a seven-figure net worth and is advising other women on how they can become financially empowered. She talks about an important moment being when her financial advisor said, hey, you're working hard for money, but did you know your money can work for you? We love that here. That's what investing does. We love the idea of that money we work so hard for working hard for us. And she talks us through some of that. And then the third situation that's the biggest risk to your finances is a job change. So whether it's because you want to leave, and she talks about the burnout in my industry law and how a number of people may leave because they want to or may leave because they have to and whether or not you can be financially ready for that. So those are the three big ones she takes us through. We actually got together on Zoom in February. So it's Black History Month. Jackie is one of the founders of the Black Opportunity Fund. She tells us all about that, how a lot of great things have been happening because of the pandemic. She was able to get 400 people together via Zoom for a conference that they've never had numbers that big. So beautiful silver lining. And how important data is for making meaningful change, especially for groups who were previously excluded from the financial system. She has 22 years experience as a financial advisor, so she's extremely knowledgeable and I really hope you enjoy this kickoff, fiery, Aries episode in this new season of Love and Dividends. Enjoy. Hello, Jackie, and welcome to the Love and Dividends podcast. Well, thank you for inviting me. My pleasure. Uh, very excited to chat with you, but do you want to tell our listeners a bit about the journey you were on creating your seven-figure net worth? I say that because, of course, it's on your website um, <laughs> out of humble beginnings and how, you know, you really had to understand finances at a really young age, I believe, in your teens. Yeah, you know, I give a lot of credit to you know, my uh, passion for financial empowerment to my mother, who probably some of your listeners had a similar kind of mom 
who she was from the time I was about seven years old, always encouraged me to never rely on a man, <laughs> have your own money. And she just said that she just kept drilling that in, in my mind from a very, very young age. And I, she was an immigrant here from the West Indies. And I just had a chance to witness her being living proof of that. She worked three jobs. Now, I have to tell your listeners and be transparent that, that child labor laws aren't what they are now. Oh <laughs> so God, single yeah. moms tended to take you wherever they went. Mm. My mom did. So I got drafted into a lot of the things that she did. And um, I didn't know any better. I really got a chance to appreciate her work ethic. And I, I think that's some of the foundational things I learned. Fast forward in my teens, when I was around 16, my mother passed away. Now, because she had such a strong work ethic that I had, you know, I was able to figure out how to put a roof over my head, keep food on the table. I had that ability to work three jobs while going to school, found a roommate. And it was just an interesting time in my life because at a young age doing that, and I remember my really close friend who are still best friends today, people would see us and thought we knew something, right? Because we were living on our own and we we seem to be doing it, right? Which I thought was interesting, right? But truthfully, the only thing I knew was how to survive. And, and that's probably where I get my penny pinching skills from to this day, right? <laughs> Is I know how to stretch a dollar. So when I finally finished high school, finished university, got my first full-time job, which felt like, whoa, this is like so exciting. Only one job to work. I um, was able, <laughs> exactly. I was able to really save a lot because it was a company who offered stock options for, you know, the ability to max out my group RSP. So I did all of that because I was so used to living on little. And, and then I got downsized from that job. <laughs> so and that was actually one of the best things that could have happened to me because that same girlfriend that I was telling you about said to me, you know, you need to talk to somebody about your money. And I'm like, what? And so she referred me to an advisor. And that was actually the first time I ever heard of the profession. And that was actually my very first money conversation, Leslie, in my life. I'd never had a money conversation with anybody, needless to say, my mother, right? And she was actually telling me something that was revolutionary to me at the time. She said money could actually work for me. Think of my money as employees and money working for me. Well, <laughs> you can imagine by that time, I was probably about 26 and it was 10 years of slogging it. Right. And so I was very captivated to learn how money could work for me. My mother only taught me to work hard, not for money to work hard. So as this woman, which, by the way, 25 years ago, didn't see too many women, never mind a woman who looked like me in the financial industry. So here's this woman who looked like me uh, telling me about money working for me. And I was like, I just thought to myself, I need to find out everything I can about this profession for me. Uh, many years later, I started to just realize how game-changing learning about money was because it led me to create my seven-figure net worth. And I don't think I'm special. And I just think the difference is learning. So that's really what I want to impart to your listeners. Oh my God. There's so many things from that story that are so incredible. I know on your website, you call it your, you know, a golden opportunity for you to learn. And I love sort of looking at turning something terrible and traumatic, losing your mother so young, but into something so golden. And then just to take it a step further, obviously, not only did you use that opportunity to learn, did you get excited, but then you're teaching now, then you took it upon yourself to share it. So can you tell us about that journey? And that leads us to your beautiful book titled Single by Chance or by Choice, The Smart Woman's Guide to Living Longer, Better. 
Yeah, I never thought I'd be sharing my story. When you walk your own shoes, you don't necessarily think of it as something you want to share. It was a story I didn't feel proud about for many, many years. I had to come to terms with what I had to grapple with. And I think everybody can look at their life as we get cursed and blessed whenever we go through our life and we just have to focus on the blessings, right? So I had this opportunity to change my life. And I saw what a difference it made in my life. And writing Single by Choice or Chance was really my mentor encouraged me to write that book. She co-authored the book with me and she saw me. She always talked to me about how how much she was shocked at how many things I'd done and such a because I would just tell her my story. She was somebody that I got to adopt me really quite early in our relationship. So she's like, you need to tell that story. And it was after I wrote the book with her and realizing the impact telling my story had on people and realizing a difference that it could make in their lives. You know what I mean? So it's just, it's kind of going back to why I, I'm so passionate about encouraging people to have money conversations, because as women, we don't talk about money enough. We certainly aren't encouraged to become confident about money and learning about money. All of those things have been game changers in my life. And I see the impact telling my story has on people. So I'm just heartened to tell it um, for as many people who can get something from it, can learn something from it. Yeah, it's definitely an honor to hear your story. It's it is something sacred and it's something, you know, I'm sure you didn't put out into the world until you felt ready for it. And I think it is so powerful. I agree. I could not believe how little it was talked about and the messages I received about money kind of horrified me because they were so counter to what I had expected. I was also taught to work hard. I was very empowered. Academics are everything. I felt like I was so on the right path. And then it felt like like that record, like screech where it was like, okay, now what am I supposed to do? And it was like, save which is important and the penny pinching is important, but then you're also like, isn't there more to it than that? And I think there definitely is. And like, what's the plan? And also is a bit horrified just for how many women I know my generation who are like, I don't know, my like boyfriend or husband kind of runs that. And that's it. You, you, you've just hit on so many things, right? And I, I have to reiterate this to your audience so that they really get clear on this. And going back to, telling my story, one of the reasons we wanted to mentor and I wanted to write this book called Single by Choice or Chance. <laughs> and my mentor is from a different generation. She just turned 80, a, a young 80. And so she was like, let's call this book Single by Default or Design. And I'm like, let me tell you something, all right? Women who are single are not single by default. They're single by mm. choice or chance. And we wanted to tell stories about these women who are single by choice or chance, because one of the things you hit on, Leslie, is whether or not women realize it, we live four years longer than men. So the odds of us having to take the reins, take control of our finances at some point in our lives are really strong. So better to do it from a confident place than from a fearful place. Because the research, when we did the book, we realized that women who didn't expect to look after their finances had horrible consequences. So women who became single by divorce, what you should know is women are five to seven times more likely to end up in poverty after divorce, especially with children. And if we didn't take the reins in the household, if we didn't know where the money was going, do we know that we're in debt? 
that our partner weren't necessarily great stewards of our money? How do we know these things unless we're involved in the process? Same thing with women who become single by chance through death, their spouse passes away. What financial shape were they in? Did they have insurance in place if they were the caregiver? So there's so many conversations around money that we need to have as women. And it all starts with feeling comfortable having the conversations, feeling that uh, we should be looked after, that if we're in a scenario working from home, because working at home is working from home, right? And so advocating for yourself in that situation might look like, do we have insurance in place, husband? Because I'm at home doing some really important work. We do a lot of unpaid work over the course of our lives. We take care of aging parents. We take care of aging children. Like even in the workplace, I'm like, oh, a low credit role that has a ton of work behind it. I see we put a woman on it. Ah, I see a woman's running this committee. Ah, 100%. Even at this law firm that's mostly men, you somehow found a woman to run that thing that's low value and high work. Ah, That's that's, exactly. And we still make 81 cents on the dollar. We're still not at pay equity. We have to decide that we're worth it. We're worth it could mean in the home that we're doing things that we're advocating for ourselves and we're worth it. Or if we are single by choice and we are on our own, we're worth investing in, in terms of making sure we're advocating for ourselves in terms of pay equity. We're advocating for ourselves and understanding where our money is going. We're advocating for ourselves in terms of working with a financial professional, asking them how they add value to our circumstances, how they get paid. These are fair conversations to have to make sure that um, you're in control, whether directly or indirectly, about what's happening with your money. First of all, I just want to thank you so much for changing default to choice. I actually was just listening today because I love astrology and I love history. I love the two coming together. It's just a side passion project. So we're coming up to a full moon in Virgo. Virgo, of course, being the virgin. And I was listening to the roots of that. And the term virgin initially never meant anything about sexuality. Virgo, virgin goddesses, all beautiful sexual women. It was all about owning yourself. It was virginal that they were self-sustaining goddesses. So they did not have male partnerships. So we've changed that or the patriarchy has warped that word to be this like default unchosen spinster woman. But really they were all autonomous women who were like, yeah, cool. I'm just going to be self-reliant and take care of myself. Thank you for the by choice. No, that was never happening. And and truly, (laughs) never happening. Yes. Never, never happening. Yeah. I was a single woman at the time. And truthfully, what I know is that women aren't single by default. They have options. It's just at the end of the day, they have to decide again, are they going into a relationship for the right reasons? Because at the end of the day, a poor choice can lead to way worse financial outcomes for you than being on your own. So a man who doesn't support your career that could end in financially disastrous consequences. Better to stay single, according to a Harvard study. A person who you and them don't have the same financial values, you can't have a money conversation with them. You can't get financially naked with them. Do you really want to get naked with them otherwise? (laughs) That's what I say to them. I want to be able to do both. Of course. Exactly. Exactly. Consider ladies, it's a red flag if you cannot speak about finances with that person. Because if you're planning a lifetime with that person, imagine 
all of the conversations you need to have. Maybe you start off making the money, but then they, they end up making the money and you have to figure out how you're going to balance all of that. Totally. You might have different approaches to money and then you have children. Maybe he's a spender, you're a saver. How do you guys get on the same page financially? There's all these conversations that you need to have. And certainly what I've said to clients, I'm happy to save you from going to a therapist where you might blame someone because financial literacy is actually a conversation that might give you more practical tips on how to, to deal with financial disagreements and prevent you from deciding to go apart. Because if you can't get on the same page financially, that's a big thing. If both of you are, don't feel financially literate, how can you solve these things without right. support, right? And a therapist isn't going to be able to help you. Oh, that's so good. And I always think as a society, it's not even just for women being empowered, which I'm obviously a huge advocate for, as I know you are. But I always think for men, wouldn't you rather a woman who's like, I'm with you because I want you. I don't need you. I'm not <laughs> here for your money. Like I'm here because I'm all in heart centered romance. I've got the money and all that under control. That's not really part of our partnership or it's part of our partnership when we truly become full partners I love naked together and naked financially. <laughs> Let's get naked financially. <laughs> exactly. 100%. You pick up line. Let's, let me tell you something. Men after a divorce want women, especially well, yeah. women who are like, I want you, but I don't need you. I and, don't need and you. Actually, isn't that a great place to be? Do you know how- I feel so know? hot saying that. I'm like, I'm on fire right now. I have to tell you, doing this 25 years, um, I have lots of stories to tell, but I can't because I am a confidant. And what I can tell you is one of the stories I would share is a woman who came to me many years ago, early in my career, who wanted to leave her husband, but didn't know if she could afford to. So sometimes it's not even being in abusive relationships, which are horrible and happening right now in the pandemic where you're financially illiterate and you're stuck in a scenario because you don't have control of that area of your life. That's one scenario, which is a horrific scenario to be in. And the other side of that is I don't know. And so I might as well stay. So this woman came to me and she wanted to know, can I afford to leave my husband? Of course you can leave him. You can learn. You can figure it out. I mean, I just feel like the answer should always be, even if you're in debt, you, you can't afford to stay with someone like that. So at the end of the day, and this is the interesting thing, she stayed. She could afford to leave, but she stayed. I told her she could afford to, to leave and she stayed, but at least she could stay because she wanted to at that point, not because she had to. I'm here for that. <laughs> I'm here for that. Um, I wanted to talk about too, just in terms of just a quick veer off happy black history month. First of all, in Thank February, you. I loved you do on your Instagram, these beautiful Wednesday live at fives. And I loved last <laughs> Checked week. It out. yeah, I loved it uh, with Shelpa. And there are just so many great things you talked about there. Financial racism is real. Of course, it's certainly been underscored during the pandemic, I wanted you to talk a bit more about the Black Opportunity Fund and various things like that. It's about advocacy, right? Whatever we were talking about when it came to, let's, let's just go back to women for a second. When we start talking about women of color, the stats are even more devastating. We make even less on the dollar, working that much harder, are, are much more susceptible to all of the financial perils that we're talking about. You know, in a country like Canada, the reality is there's many um, challenges that you face financially as a person of color, where there was a study that Shilpa mentioned 
where it talked about how capable um, women of color are with education, with, you know, all of the um, all of the, the initiatives that they, they put together, but in C-suite, they're not being promoted. Women aren't being promoted, even if you're a capable woman of color. So you're not getting the promotions and then you're not getting the income. Hence, we're back to people of color now are more likely to be turned down for loans, for funding. And that has to do as well with having access to financial literacy resources. If you're a business person, incubator programs. Uh, and so sometimes funding will come in for people of color, the government will announce funding, but there's no way to access it. Because again, if you're either a business organization or a social organization doing great work in the black community, if you don't have financial literacy, if you don't have corporate governance as a background, you will likely not be able to access this funding. Another form of of financial racism. And probably the biggest form of financial racism, Leslie, is the lack of data about how financial racism affects people of color, even across Canada, because the story isn't the same across Canada. So one of the, a number, we have a number of initiatives, a number of ways we want to level the playing field for people of color. One of them is to partner with universities and incubator programs and research um, organizations like Mars to start to collect the data. We are actually having town halls with the black community about some of the ways they want help with financial racism. I have to tell you, a number of weeks ago, we held a Black business town hall. Here we are, we got to look at the silver linings of the pandemic. We did a cross Canada town hall with people of color. So here I was talking to people of color who own businesses across Canada, Four over 400 people were on the call from different provinces talking about their issues. We've never done that before. It was so exciting. I still get goosebumps thinking about it. But, you know, a number of issues came up, like feeling alone, feeling isolated, feeling not financially literate, feeling like they didn't have access to funding, feeling turned out for loans. So one of the things that we want to do is to be the community aggregator. We want to aggregate data and then aggregate, use the fact that we can aggregate people and data to attract more funding. A number of us from the Black Opportunity Fund have a background in finance. And so we are putting together a basically through the fund and the fund plans to raise, you know, a billion dollars over the next 10 years. And the fund was modeled by actually the Women Equality Fund. So it's kind of that also that also wants to be a billion dollar fund as well. But the the goals of the Black Opportunity Fund is to attract this funding that not too many people in the Black community get because of corporate governance. And so that's where having financial professionals and having the connections that some of us in the Black Opportunity has comes together because we don't want to compete with organizations that are out there. We want to make sure that we attract the funding and then pass it out nationally to these organizations. Fantastic. We'll link to that uh, in the show notes so that our listeners can get involved. It'll be a lot of enthusiasm. And you sound so optimistic speaking about it in a time yes. that's really underscored a lot of problematic things. Yeah. And we're looking, we're looking for supporters, people who want to join us in this mission in leveling the playing field for people of color. Like I said, we're still looking to make connections to all of the provinces. So if you have um, people who are either social organizations or business owners, we want to make those connections to those, those different provinces uh, so we can help as many people nationally as possible. Currently, we don't have a national agenda. 
as far as getting data together on how we can help people of color. So we want to be that. And when you say it's different across Canada, are you able to give some examples? Yeah, yeah. So like, for example, racism doesn't look the same in Nova Scotia. So what what are business owners in Nova Scotia dealing with in terms of financial racism or racism on the whole? Right. So policing, health care, there is a connection between health and wealth. Right. So the, the more you're in debt, the more you're potentially having mental health challenges. You're working harder, probably in not as safe conditions. Let's just think about the pandemic right now where essential workers in places like factories are having to put themselves at risk because they need the money. What are some of the regional issues associated with financial racism that we don't know about? We aren't even collecting data on. We're not addressing because we don't fully understand them. And then just for one more level of optimism, your your guest Shilpa said that um, BCG did a study that diverse leadership results in 45% more revenue based on innovation. I love, I love when I can bring a number to it. And I'm glad you brought that up because having a diverse workforce is actually profitable for corporations, for businesses, totally. for the government, right? Like think about it. If you have um, a business owner who gets the funding they need and they can actually hire people and they actually have the financial literacy, then they have a business that's sustainable, then they can actually create more jobs in the economy and help uplift their community all at the same time. This is also the case for corporations, right? Like, do you want more diverse clients, um, get more diverse people in your corporate boards in your um, in your team at different um, managerial levels because then they can help you attract the clients that you want. We've seen those marketing campaigns go wrong. They were marketing to an ethnic group they knew nothing about. Nobody was nobody ethnic in the room was there to stop them from what ended up being a public relations oh, disaster. Mm-hmm. So it makes good sense to have diversity, and that the numbers are compelling. So it doesn't have to be a, please help us. It can be a, you know what, we want to level up our corporations. So we put ourselves in the most financially resilient place possible. Yes. Level up corporations, financial resilience, just all of it. So good. On that note, let's take a quick break. We'll be right back. Do you love our podcast art? I'm actually obsessed with it. It was created for us by a very talented local artist right here in Toronto named Claire Fang. And due to popular request, we're making it available to you. Check out our website, loveanddividends.com to get your very own custom Love and Dividends swag. So even as the host of a financially focused podcast, I am constantly confusing these financial terms. What I did for myself was create a handy little cheat sheet to keep everything clear. And now I'm sharing it with you. I hope it will be a helpful tool as you tune in regularly to our show. I don't love the term cheat, but I love the idea of a cheat sheet. Sign up for our mailing list at loveanddividends.com to get a free copy of my beautiful Love and Dividends cheat sheet emailed right to you. Because I know you specifically help lawyers. I'm a lawyer. Again, I think lawyers are, well, I want your opinion on it. This is how I got so passionate. I was at a big law firm. They brought in a financial advisor. And I just found the information so obtuse. Like, it didn't resonate with anyone in the room. It was so unhelpful. It had, like, a trickling of shame. We're so privileged, all all lawyers. 
don't get me wrong, but we have huge law school debt. We have huge, we're working in big cities because that's where the start, a lot of the starter jobs. So we have huge right. rent payments. As you said, financial payments, right? Because all those years in law school, time. you got to repay that debt and, you know, potentially live in the city, which isn't cheap either, right? That's it. That's it. Yeah. So what do you see with lawyers and, and what advice do you have? Because we have you know a large number of lawyers in our audience. There's a few things, right? First and foremost, I wanted to address this opaqueness when it comes to being financially transparent and making finance something engaging. You know, one of my missions as a financial planner, and I call myself a financial confidant, is to really make financial planning fun. There's like a lot of drama in finance. And I think making finance clear, um, finance engaging, and my background is psychology, actually, and communications. That's actually my background. And, and so my jam is really trying to make complex scenarios much more simple. And I'll explain that because when clients come to me, I have to tell you that their circumstances might be complex, but the truth is they understand it. They just really want to know if I do. Right? That's really oh, what our meetings are about, wait, right? Wait, wait, explain that more. Say more about that. So, so you know what? You might have all kinds of financial issues that are going on, right? And the truth is they might seem complex, but you understand them. And so I find the first couple of meetings that I, I'm working on a person's financial plan and breaking it down is because they want to make sure I understand them too. So whatever my financial mess may be, I understand it. But do you? <laughs> That's really what I'm saying. So true about so many things too in life, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So it's like, that's where trust really comes in. And that's why I call myself a confidant because it's about people being able to feel that they can communicate whatever their financial circumstances are in a safe space where they're not going to feel judged, especially women. And I think that the, in the last, um, you know, 15 years in the financial industry, the financial industry has been much more of a rank and file kind of hierarchical system, mostly because there's been men in it. I mean, I'm not saying that there's not men out there who don't know how to speak in plain language to people. And I think those men are coming into the industry, but for a long time, it looked very, as I said, hierarchical. When uh, you worked with financial planner, they might, might've been an old white man, as you said, speaking to the husband, they're like bypassing you and maybe nodding their head at you. And I, and I think that the fact that we're seeing so many women come into the industry and I call it feminizing industry because there's feminine energy and male energy, and it doesn't have to always come from somebody who looks female or somebody who looks male, but we have to acknowledge the fact that there's feminine and masculine energy out there. And truthfully, I think the ability to communicate, the ability to create a safe space are things that women have as a superpower. I love bringing that superpower to relationships because at the end of the day, it's not about me. It's, it's about you. It's you understanding your money and feeling like you're making progress. And so why I call myself a confidant is because A, you should be able to feel like you can confide in the person that you're working with who's an advisor because there's so many financial issues, again, that you have to go through over the course of your lifetime. It's kind of like a lawyer. If you're my lawyer. Yeah, I'm, so much I'm like a lawyer. That's what I've been thinking the whole time. I'm like, very <laughs> law. Yeah. If you're my lawyer, whether it's a civil suit, criminal suit, whatever it is, I better have told you the truth. Please tell the court the truth. That is perjury. But also I do corporate transactions and like, I'm not even in something contentious and I'm still like, you need to tell me everything. Like constantly I'm like, oh, it would have been really helpful if you told me you'd like on a side deal, promise this person, whatever X, 
That's really critical for me that's, to know. Even if now you're like, I kind of wish I hadn't done that. So I'm just going to pretend I didn't and hope I don't get it. Like all the time getting people to trust me and tell me the truth is like, this, this is it. So you understand that. So as I, I said, get it. Yeah. To protect the innocent and guilty, please tell me what's really happening. Yes. So we're working on the same page, right? Like, let's just, let's just put that out there. But at the same time, um, I'm only really going to do that if I fully trust you and feel like you're competent and capable to help me. So that's why you need to, when you're working with someone like myself, ask them what licenses they have, ask them how they get paid, ask them if they have the educational qualifications to help you based on, you know, being a certified financial planner. That's what I am as a CFP. What credentials do they have? How do they add value? These are perfectly fair questions to actually be able to confide in someone as a confidant and have the confidence working with them. So here's what I understand of lawyers working with lawyers for the past. Like, I think when I just got my license, I, somebody invited me to like a law um, graduation. And, and so what I've learned about lawyers is some people are recovering lawyers. They want to get out of the profession, but they kind of feel trapped in their lifestyle. <laughs> <laughs> and then there's the, and, and the trapped in the lifestyle piece has to do with, you know, lawyers have a, a level of prestige that they want to maintain. No judgment about it. I just want to make sure you're not one of those people that I've called broke millionaires who are kind of trapped in the lifestyle that they're trying to preserve. And yet they're, they might want to be recovering lawyers. So they, they can't, like if they wanted to change careers, because burnout is a really big issue in law, they don't have the luxury to do that because they're trapped in their lifestyle. That That is the second part of the journey. One was this huge law school debt, no help, wanting to be like done with that. And the second part was a financial advisor friend I knew who's like, you won't believe how many 40, 50 year old lawyers walk in the door being like, when can I retire? I'm rich. Look at my rich lifestyle. I must be doing it right. And they're like, Honestly, 75, maybe, assuming you don't want to sell the cottage. And yeah, they have things it. they could that's sell it. and you don't want to take your kids out of private school that's or you're it. not going to pay for the university. Like everything you said is exactly me. I was like, I don't want to feel I can't leave this job if I want to. And I did go in-house. I did leave the big yeah. prestigious law firm for an in-house job that does come with a pay cut. And I'm so proud of myself for getting to a place where I was free to do that. And, and I want to just like to defend the lawyers for a minute. You're right. Part of it is the prestige and lifestyle where I have to defend millennial lawyers. Cause we get shamed a lot for like avocado toast and like, or like Chanel bags. Um, you know, and I, I want to just say, especially for women, they're like, here's the thing. It's not that I'm trying to keep up with the Jones. Like there is a level of money I'm required to spend for this yes. job. There is a level of suits I have to have. We we're talking about skincare because yes. all of us have days we we went into the office for people like, you look so tired. <laughs> like, no shit. You had me pull two all-nighters, but I guess I'm supposed to not look tired. So here's like an $80 bottle of retinol. I just want to speak to that because I'm like, the lifestyle creeps up on you. And 100% for security, I have female friends who are like, I had to, we just installed a really expensive security system, but I live alone, like in downtown Toronto, like I'm not comfortable. Taxis, I could go on and on because the no, men no, like no, walk no. home. I've, I've seen anyway all of that. And, and truthfully, when it comes down to it, finance and planning is all about choices. So it's kind of like, 
what are the things that are most important to you? Where, where are areas that, you know, we can make some changes? And then let's look at also where we can claw back as much of your cash as possible that, you know, you get your paycheck and you take it for granted, but taxes are a big issue for people in the exactly. legal industry. So what can we do to reduce the taxes that you have to pay as much as possible? And that's contingent on, are you employed? Are you incorporated? How are you receiving your income? Do you have a spouse? Do you not have a spouse? So there's a lot of finer details to look at to see how can we optimize your cash flow as much as possible and make you as financially resilient as possible so that you're not in a scenario where as time goes on, if you are feeling like you're becoming a recovering lawyer, that you're not trapped. I love the term recovering lawyer. I will be using that. I know a few. Uh, <laughs> and, and so you can really, just like everything, like the relationship again, where you can be like, no, I want this because I want this. And what are the parts I love about it? I'm so excited about that. I'm really glad you do that work. Uh, is there anything else you want to discuss before I take you through sort of the general questions we ask all our podcast guests? I think the only thing I wanted to point out to people is for those of you who are lawyers who want more information on some of the things I cover when I talk to lawyers about financial planning is I have a white paper for lawyers that sort of takes you through all of the issues I cover around financial planning for lawyers. I say the top three financial risks that people face typically isn't the markets. Just a big hint. It's not losing money in the markets. It's losing your health. So becoming sick and not being prepared. I have two lawyers right now out on disability and they're in really good shape from a financial perspective. It's still hard for them because they define themselves for, by their career. They're super kick-ass female lawyers who own and head up their own practice. At the same time, the other piece is if you are that person and you're sick and you're not prepared and you have staff and people to look after, what is your contingency plan? Have one. Because that's a big financial risk that if all of a sudden you are that person who gets ill, you may never financially recover from that if you don't have a plan. The other piece, um, so if I was going to say to you that the top three financial risks that aren't the markets, it's changing careers and not being prepared. So losing your job, your main source of income. And so that could be something happens with your firm or Bay Street could be a rat race, right? <laughs> Global Mail just wrote an article, only 25% of partners are women. So, you know, just being a woman and getting mm -hmm. ready to be a partner and That's being told, oh, you just don't have what it takes. Yeah. Something about you is just a bit annoying. Like you're a really good lawyer, but there's just something we yeah, don't like. Yeah, and that also just something like the mental impact of, of, of that discrimination is it takes a long time. It takes a toll. And then really the third is divorce. So we were talking about getting financially naked. Divorce is a big reason that people um, may never financially recover. Talk to those divorce lawyers or even better, go check out some of those big law firms downtown where there's like a 75 year old lawyer still there. I'll bet on that, that chances are he's been third divorced. Or third or, or fourth. Exactly. So, I'm actually too old now for that guy, but I know those I can, guys for sure. I was going to say the big secret isn't because they want to die at their desk. They can't afford to not work until they die. That's the, that's a fact. Without question, without question. I'm, I'm familiar with the type. Well, well, those are um, some of the probably bigger, bigger financial perils that if you face those, they will have a much bigger impact on your finances wow. in the market. So choose wisely, ladies. 
So to reiterate, the three biggest are your health. If you're if you get sick and you're unprepared, a change of career if you're not prepared for that. Again, I like by chance or by choice, but like the by chance, especially scary if you're in a group that doesn't always get the big promotions and especially divorce. Yeah, we did an episode actually last season called Divorce in the Time of Corona with. Uh, <laughs> yeah, which is a real thing. With right a now. family law oh. friend of mine. Yeah, I was like, your business is going to do uh, well. She's like, right now, no, everyone's canceled their meetings. But yeah, everyone's calling. And, you know, a lot of her clients are the ones who are like, I just did the expensive divorce. Help me do this right the next time. Yes. And help me with this next person. And, and I think both financial planners can help with like, here's here's what yes. happens, especially because the law can be tricky. You're probably even more familiar with this than me in that they're like, this was our arrangement. This was our agreement. And she's often like, well, that's actually not what the law says. Now that you're married, here's who owns those assets. A hundred percent, which is why I'm like, start the relationship off from the beginning. Once you realize that this is a person that you want to be with, having those regular money conversations, just make it a part of what you guys do as a couple, right? Because even in divorce, because sometimes for whatever reason, things don't work out. If we can talk about money when we're, we're happy and we've developed that muscle, then we can come to some kind of an agreement that may not have to include a litigation divorce lawyer. You know what I mean? And we can be civil to one another. I mean, I say the same thing corporate law with agreements with businesses because so often people come and they're so excited and they're like, yeah, they're, there's so much to it. It's like, we had a handshake agreement. People love this idea of like a handshake agreement. And I'm like, that's so great. So excited for you. Page one of your agreement is like setting out the terms of that handshake. The rest of the agreement has nothing to do with your handshake. You put it all together because women have so much to lose when relationships don't work out, right? We don't, we are having kids later, getting married later, saving our money later. And so if things don't work out, it's going to affect us that much more and not to live that much longer on it. So if we can have these conversations where we arrive at, here's our cohab agreement, if we're living together and things don't work out, I want to protect you and I want to protect me. Or here's our prenup or postnup, um, just so yeah. that you walk away with what you came with. And I walk away, we have this money conversation that means both of us are looking out for each other's interests. What a healthy way to start a relationship. Okay, our general questions. Uh, what does wealth mean to you? Wealth means to me the freedom to choose how I deal, how I make use of my time. Given that money is all about compounding gains, although you're right, maybe the market's not the biggest risk. What is something you wish you'd known sooner with your finances? The wish I, the I wish I knew what I know now when I was younger. You started very young, so you might be like, I was set, but. I think one of the things I wish I knew was um, was really how to make money work for me earlier. Like I, I think of a, a girlfriend of mine that I met in high school. So she was probably the, the person that started me thinking about, oh, I can make money work for me even if I don't have money. What she did is she she subletted. Um, she had this really cute rent controlled apartment that she when she was going to university, she lived in. And then when she was in the summertime or not there, she rented it out for what market rent was. So she was making like 400 bucks a month on this rent controlled apartment. Like that wasn't even worth. I always remember thinking, wow, that's really cool. So it's just it's you know what? It's looking at money as a source of opportunity versus as a source of fear, because I was always worried about not having enough. And just really holding on to my pennies. And, and that makes me like a self-described cheapskate. So it's realizing, you know, later in life that 
there's opportunity in money and, and I want to leverage the opportunity in money as much as I can. And that's what I encourage other people to do as well. Looking at money as opportunity versus a source of fear. Beautiful. This is a good time to get clear on your numbers. Um, create that personal ba balance sheet, right? So how much do you owe? How much do you own? That's your net worth. And you want to keep increasing that every year. So you need to know what it is right now. And that's what knowing your numbers is about. And again, create that cash flow statement and feel free to hit us up. We have these net worth and cash flow statements that we're, we're happy to send you. If you DM us, direct message us, where's your money going? Are you happy with where it's going? Because it's not for us to decide. It's for you to decide. I think right now people are notoriously spending online and I've been guilty of it myself because sometimes it just feels good, right? In this crazy time where you can't go anywhere. So no judgment there, but how is your, how is your spending changed? This is a really great time to look at it and just sort of see what your priorities are and if you're spending according to your priorities or is money literally just passing through your hands and leaking? Everybody else gets to make use of it except you. Get financially naked with yourself. Yeah. Yes, it starts with you getting, feel, feeling comfortable in the skin, right? Getting financially naked with yourself. And then you feel more comfortable getting naked with other people, right? Love it. Uh, what has been a pandemic silver lining? You've sort of already talked about one, which was the incredible cross Canada outreach you've been able to have, but... That was amazing. I, you know, I write a book called Single by Choice or Chance. And literally the day that I got the, the book published was when I moved in with my partner. <laughs> so, so write a book on being single so that you can meet the you know, love of your life. So that's kind of what happened. Was there that is a new tip for me of the many tips. <laughs> when you're a single career woman, like everyone comes at you being like, clearly a disaster has happened to you. Here is one million tips. Usually they're like, just love yourself. And I'm like, I obviously <laughs> I do. Look how hot and rich I am. Um, but <laughs> uh, I bought myself a law degree. Like I obviously love myself, but that's a new one. I have to say, Jackie, that's one I've never heard. So our silver lining is I'm usually all over the place, speaking, working, blah, blah, blah. The silver lining is just having something that I think time is not something you can get back, which is being able to choose how you spend your time is my wealth tip. So we've been in a position that we've been able to spend so much more time together and enjoy the time we're still together. Nobody's died. So I feel like it's a win. And now it's time for Money Wins. Money Wins is a way you've spent, saved, or invested your money that feels like a win. On the note of a win, um, so Jackie, do you have a money win for us? I'm a self-described cheapskate, right? So, yeah, um, penny pincher. So, exactly. So, there are no pennies anymore, but I still love it. One of the things I've done as a woman who uh, you know doesn't have children, won't have kids, um, I live in a home, but for me, buying a home to just live in just doesn't make sense to me. So where you're, where you're calling me from is my, one of the properties I own. This one's a triplex That's hot. and I rent out the other two floors. And, uh, so the nicest floor, which I'm currently on, we used to rent out as an Airbnb and then travel with the money. Um, and so remember money is opportunity, right? So, so that worked until the pandemic hit. And then truthfully, Leslie, I have to be honest, I started to resent the people who lived in my home. 
Because they had access to my backyard. I'm on the second floor, which is the biggest unit, and I didn't. And they were lovely people, and it's not right to resent them. So I eventually said that, you know, somebody was taking over the place. The truth is it was me. So that Brene Brown teaches when you feel resentment, it means you're not taking care of you. Mm -hmm. So now I live on the floor that I was renting out as an Airbnb, living my best life. Yes. Backyard. And over the summer, we used it to have our friends and clients came to visit me here, like my older clients who don't want to do Zoom. Right. So that's been my big financial win, just deciding that this place was something that I deserved. And, you know, I didn't need to, to rent it out and have somebody else live their best life in my house. I could live my best life in my house. You're living your best life in the best part of your house, like a boss, like a financially empowered woman. That is a win. That's, that's a big a win. win. It's a win. Well, I'm cognizant of your time. We've got five minutes left. Uh, is there anything else you wanted to say? And no, I, I mean, I think um, I just, I, I love, because I, I talk about getting financially naked with yourself. I encourage all women to do that. Warts and all, right? Love it all, because that's your opportunity. If you haven't put it down on paper, what I find when you do that is you start to see the opportunities. You have to document where you're at so you can see the opportunities and be okay with it. Like it doesn't need to be perfect. It can be your messy numbers. And if you need someone to help you clean it up, go ahead and do that. But, you know, get clear on your finances. No, for, not for anybody else, but for you. And, you know, I promise you, it's kind of to me, I hate going to the dentist, but it's kind of like the pain, you wait till the pain is real. But once you go and you get it sorted out, like I promise you, it, it feels so much better. It just feels so much better to know where you're at. Document it for you, for no one else, and then you will be able to see the opportunities. That is such a great note to end on. We sign off this podcast with love and dividends. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to the Love and Dividends podcast. Please subscribe, share, and rate us with five shining stars on iTunes. It really helps us rise in visibility to reach more listeners like you. To find out more, check out our website, loveanddividends.com, our Instagram at loveanddividends, or email me, leslie at loveanddividends.com. This episode was produced by Holly Dodson. Until next time, I'm Leslie Gray, signing off with Love and Dividends.